Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. What is this? What is this contraption? What is this? Is that a fan? It's very interesting. Here, you can have it. I think I'm in the right place. Uh, all right. Uh, hi. I've been on quite a journey. My name is Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, and I've come because I've heard you've been talking about me. I'm not here to fight. I trust it's all been good, but uh, your pastor's been talking about me for the last few months, and from what I understand, uh, you are getting ready to take part in a great work that you believe God wants to do in your community and in your city. Is that true? Well, I know something about that. (laughs) As you've gotten to know my story, we have uh, a similar mission. I had a mission that I feel God put in my heart in a story that has been told through my life of the great things God has done. And so I'm here with you today because I would love to share my story with you to help you see the lessons that I have had to learn and my people have had to learn over thousands of years ago so that you can be ready and prepared to see God do a great thing in your day today. Have I come to a group of people that expect God to do a great work in their day today? Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in a land that was not my own. I grew up in a place that was different than where my parents and their parents and their parents grew up. It wasn't a bad life for me and for my family, but something always felt out of place. Have you ever felt that way where you were somewhere, but you just felt that something wasn't right? That's how I grew up. And as I began to ask my parents about what this was and and, and what What was this land that they grew up in and what was that all about? My parents began to tell me glorious stories about this land that had been promised to our people, the people of Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people. We had been promised a great land. It was a land known as the land of Judah or the land of Israel and and we were promised to live there. And all the way back through the generations, one of our forefathers, his name was Abraham, God promised him this land And then God was faithful and he brought my people to that place. And we enjoyed the beauty of what it meant to be blessed by God, truly blessed, to live in a land where we could experience God's freedom, where we could experience all that God had for us as a people. And in the middle of that land, there was our great city. Oh, how my parents would talk about the great city, the city of Jerusalem. Mount Zion, this beautiful place where we would worship God. It was a place where God made his presence known. And in the middle of that city, there was a beautiful temple. And that temple was a place where we would come together to worship God. Now this is a place where you, I understand, come together to worship God. We had a glorious temple. And as we came together to worship God, my people, they would enjoy, enjoy the benefits of God's presence among them. And they live with such pride, such excitement, such joy in their lives. But however exciting it was to have that freedom, to have that place with God, they took the good thing that God had given them and they took it for granted. And my parents told me the stories about how my people hardened their hearts. Do you know what that means? To turn your heart away from something 
to not allow your heart to be receptive anymore. My people, they sinned over and over and over again. We had a beautiful temple. But you know what many of the people did? They didn't come to that place and worship God. Instead, there were idols and other gods, and they went and they worshiped them instead. And as my people continued to drift farther and farther away from the God that loved them, God eventually gave them over to their selfish and sinful desires. And one day, without notice, for them, although the prophets, they said, and the the wise men have been speaking about it for so long, their greatest fear became a reality. Invasions happened. Our city that was once strong, that had beautiful walls that would keep out all the enemies of God, fell to ruins. People came in, they sieged our land, and they carried us away. They carried us away to a distant country. We became refugees and strangers, ripped away from our land, having to live among a group of people that we didn't know. Could you imagine that in your day? If you saw people just being ripped away from everything that they had known, everything that they had grown up in, the land that they had called their own for generations, and made to be refugees and strangers in another land. That's what my people had to endure. And you know what that had become for us? As difficult as it might sound, it became the new normal for us. We watched as our people just acclimated and became accustomed to the way of living in that land. We were living like slaves. We were living as those who had to beg for just food and something to get by, but we were seen as those that many did not look upon with favor. And so my people, we grew up in that place, and my people were a people known to be without hope at all. They had given up on hope. They had desired to see God move and they had seen and felt like they were completely separated from him. They were living without any hope at all. And I grew up in that place at that time among those people. And as they continued to live their lives, we watched how there would be a few people that would come up and they would say, remember the old days. Remember when we could worship God. Remember when we could experience freedom. Remember we could live in a place that we could truly call our own. Do you remember that? And they would get excited and they would celebrate and some people would run off and they would say, we're going and we're going to rebuild and we're going to make it great again. And then you would not hear anything else after that. Well, as time went on, I began to not put much hope in all of their rebuilding efforts. Because often they would talk a lot about it and then years and months would go by and nothing, nothing would come. And so one day my brother, Han and I, was heading down with a group of men from Judah and they were spending time traveling around that area. So I knew that my brother would have had an opportunity to see Jerusalem, to see the city, to see the people who had all desired to go back, to see with his own eyes what the progress would have looked like. And so when he returned back to our land, I asked him the question, How are our brothers in Jerusalem? How are the walls of the city? How are the people? How are their spirits? Is there hope? Is there signs of life? Is there something to be excited about? My friends, I'm going to tell you something. I asked a question that changed my life forever. I asked a question that I never knew the weight of what would come to me after that. I asked a question about something that mattered a lot to the heart of God. And because of it, he changed me. I can still remember as I, as I stood there and as I listened, every word 
that my brother shared with me was like a dagger in my heart about what was happening and what the condition of the city was. He said, the people are a remnant. The city is in ruins. The walls are burnt down and broken down and the gates are burned with fire. And I could remember in that moment, my knees became weak and I didn't know what else to do. But I just sat there and I began to weep. I wept because something that God had created to be so beautiful was in ruins. Something that was meant to fill people's lives with hope was hopeless. Something was meant to be celebrated was nothing to even be looked at. And so I wept and my heart was broken. It felt like it was shattered. I felt in a way that I had never felt before. And I wept and the weeping didn't last for hours. It lasted for days and weeks. And as I wept, I prayed and I sought the Lord. And something beautiful began to happen in the midst of my brokenness. It was as if every breaking of my heart, the more it broke, the more my eyes began to open. And what I began to see was not what they had told me, was not a city whose walls had fallen down and a people who were a remnant in a completely vulnerable situation. Instead, I saw something different. What I saw with my own eyes was I saw a picture not of how things were, but how God wanted them to be. A picture of the vision God had for his people. And it was glorious that one day it would no longer be in ruins. That one day God would restore his people back. One day the people could have hope again in life and a future. And I began to pray and my weeping turned to a great excitement and anticipation. And that excitement and anticipation soon turned to trepidation as I considered the cost that God would even call me to such a task. And so I knew what I had to do. I began to pray for opportunity because, see, God had placed me in a place that many of my fellow Jewish people would have never been able to rise to. It may not sound glorious to you as I describe it, but it was quite a position of honor among my people. While many were begging for bread and had no place to work, I had found favor in the eyes of God, I believe, and in the eyes of the king, King Artaxerxes, and I was elevated over time to become his cupbearer. His cupbearer was the one who carried a very special, special job and role in his life. I was more valuable to him than many of his soldiers because I was there to protect his very life. That as many people would bring gifts to him, others wanted to bring plots of assassination. And while some would attack him, right to his face or send uh, war and, and clans against him. There were others that were more sneaky and the way that they would want to attack the king was that they would poison his food or poison his drink. And so as every drink came before the king, before he took of it, his cupbearer would sip it to ensure that it was not poisoned. Now if you ask me what happens and how do they find out if it's been poisoned, I was trying to ask the last guy that came before me, but I could not find him <laughs> to figure it out. I soon realized why, because I went to the guy before that and the guy before that. They have a cemetery right in the back of the king's palace for it. That's what happened, and I learned pretty quickly that I was the way that they would tell if it had been poisoned. So every day I'd risk my life. But the king saw that and he saw my heart, the heart that was trying to be pure before the Lord and one that wanted to honor what God had called me to, to do in that land. And so I prayed that God would just give me favor with this king. And one day as I had come before him, this was over a month after I had first heard the news and asked the question that changed my life forever, 
that the king saw me and he saw my heart had been broken. As much as I tried to have joy, as much as I tried to go about my job, it was hard at times to not feel overwhelmed and not feel saddened in my heart by what I had been come to face in the midst of this difficulty. And so he asked me the question, why are you so sad? What is this sadness of heart that has touched you? And in that moment, I knew and I spoke in a way that I'd never spoken before in his presence. I spoke of it. I said, how could my heart not be saddened when the city of my father's tombs and my ancestors' tombs and graves lays in waste and ruin? How could I not be saddened to know that my people are a remnant? And he then asked me a question. He said, what then would you want me to do? And in that moment, I knew God had opened a door that no one else could open. And so I stopped and I prayed to the Lord again. In that moment, saying, Lord, give me the words to say in this time. I could sense it was a moment that God had brought before me. And so I said, if it would please the king, and the queen was sitting right next to him, would you allow me to go and to take part in a rebuilding effort to raise the city up to what it could be again? Would you allow me to have letters from your hand and from your signature that would give me authority to pass through unharmed when enemies would want to stop me? If it would please the king, would you give me access to the great forest where you're able to pull all of your lumber so that I could have lumber to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the gates? And the king looked at me and he found favor with me. Not because of myself, but because the good hand of God was upon me. I want you to know something today. It doesn't matter what the request is. If the good hand of God is upon you, you can ask in faith. You can trust him. He's faithful. He's faithful. Does anyone else know that he's faithful today? I asked, and God was faithful. And I knew that I didn't just have the king's authority, but I had the Lord's authority to walk in the way that he had called me to go. And so I went. And as I went through the land and I came across every person with every letter, I saw favor. I saw the favor of God and the favor of the king upon me. And then I came to two men. And they are, uh, how you'd say, do you have thorns in this land? Do you have thorns? you know what I'm talking about? They grow on the ends of some plants. If you come in contact with them, you'd know if you have thorns in this land. Well, ours are very long thorns. They're thorns that would pierce your flesh. And the way I like to think of these two men is they are thorns in my side. They were two thorns in my side, and their names were Sambalat and Tobiah. And as I came to them, and I came in the same way that I had gone to everyone else, do you know what they did? They began to mock me. They began to laugh in my face. They began to say, oh, you're coming to rebuild? Oh, look what you're coming to do? You really think that you can make anything happen in that place? And as they laughed and as they ridiculed, I was taken aback. But I was reminded of something. That I wasn't going to lean on their words. I wasn't going to lean on their threats. I wasn't going to lean on their ridicule. Instead, there was a greater word that had been spoken. God spoke, and his word was more final than their word was. Their word mattered more than their words did. God's word was final, and I trusted that he had called me, and so I would not let them sidetrack me. And I passed through, and I came and I gathered the lumber, and I took it, and I went and I spent time in the land of Judah, in Jerusalem, in the holy city, 
And I could see how far it had fallen from what my parents had described to me. This city that was once a glowing and shining example of God's presence on earth had become a tattered, shame-filled place. It was embarrassing to walk in. No one that was there was holding their head high. People were huddled around, feeling vulnerable that they could be robbed at any moment. People hid in fear in their homes. They walked around with burdens on their shoulders. And I watched. No one knew why I was there. And in the middle of one night, I went out. And I took only a few with me. And I went with the animal that I was riding on. And as I rode around, I looked at each gate And I went around, and as I got to a certain point, I could not even pass any further. It was so piled up with ruin and rubble that I had to turn around and go back. In that moment, God was showing me something. I could see clearly that night, although it was very dark. I didn't just see the ruins. I didn't just see all of the devastation that everyone else had seen. I saw what God had showed me, a rebuilt city, restored walls, a revived nation, a people that could worship God and experience his blessing again. I didn't just see what everyone else was seeing. I saw God's vision for that city, for that place, and it was a beautiful vision. And so I called the people together. And these were people who had been living without hope for so long. And I began to speak. And my goal was simple. My goal was this. I wanted them to see what God had shown me. And so I said to them, I said, we're not in a good place here. The city's in ruins. We are a reproach. There's only a remnant living here. But I want to tell you something today. I want to tell you we can arise and we can rebuild. And we can make this great again. And we can be used again. And God can be glorified in this house once more. And I began to tell them story after story about how the hand of God had been upon me. And I could watch as people who were slumped over staring at the ground began to look up at me. Where people began to pay attention intently at every word I was sharing. It wasn't me. It was the Lord. And as I shared... And as I told them that I truly believe God had a purpose for us, and they said, let us arise and rebuild so that we can be great again and we can be with God again. And there was that moment of silence. And after a second, I could hear with one loud voice, they said, we will arise and rebuild. And it was a hope-filled chant that rose up and they were ready to put their hands to the work God had called us to. It was amazing. It was amazing. And so, as we began, I saw people. I'm going to tell you, I saw families. Families who lived in their homes. And every day, this is what it was like. They would wake up. They would get out of their beds. They would begin to have a meal. They would open their windows and doors. And right in front of them, there would be a section of the wall that just laid in ruins. Every day, they lived their lives looking at that broken wall. And you know what happens? When you fix your eyes on the broken things in this world long enough, you become broken yourself. And they began to look every single day at that brokenness. But I want to tell you something. When they got a vision for what God wanted to do, when they took their eyes off that and they put it on the Lord on high, do you know what happened? That wall started to get built up. And every day they went out right in front of their own homes. They took their hands. They stacked it brick on top of brick. They worked quickly. They worked diligently. They worked with faith. They worked with excitement because they saw God was doing something. He was moving in our midst. I can remember all around where anyone lived, they just went out and they worked on their section of the wall. People came from all places. People I would have never expected started to help out and lend a hand to help this rebuilding effort. In no time, the wall was halfway up. In no time. And then it happened. 
I felt the prick of the thorns in my side again. Sam Ballot, Tobiah, this guy Geshem comes and they show up and there they are mocking us again. Mocking our progress. Mocking the things that are happening. And then they go from that, they begin threatening. They begin saying, we're going to attack them when they least expect it. We're going to tear them down. They said it loud enough and within the earshot of the people. And you know what happened? As that fear came in, it just ravaged the people. It was as if you took all the air out of the room. We had just done so much work. We had seen God do so many things. And yet as the enemy started to bark out threats, the people became hunched over again. And instead of laying bricks on bricks, they were laying bricks on their shoulders and they were becoming burdened and burdened. And before long, their work began to come down to a snail's pace. And they began to say how we can't do it anymore. It's never going to work. We're going to be attacked. We're going to die. And I watched as the whole people just got filled with fear. Do you know fear? Fear becomes one of the great things that stops any work of God that he wants to accomplish in anyone's life. They were gripped with fear. They were overcome by fear. And so I did what I only knew to do. I looked to the Lord in heaven. I prayed to him. And I began to speak to the people. And I said, God is on our side. He will fight for us. He will protect us. He will provide for us. Let us continue to rebuild. Let us fight against the enemies that God would bring our way. Let us not allow this work to go undone. And the people, they took their eyes off the brokenness. They took their eyes off the fear. They lifted their eyes to God again. And he allowed them to have the faith to continue to work. And so they begin to rebuild. And they began to do it. And we now had God's strategy. We said, we're not going to build in ignorance. So I put a sword in the hands of the men working. I said, work with the trowel in one hand, the sword in the other. Be ready and on alert at any moment. Sound the trumpet if you hear anything. Or come and fight for one another. We are not going to allow anything to stop the work that God is doing. We began to realize how powerful we were when we were united. Oh, a united people for God's purpose is a very powerful thing. You could accomplish the impossible in no time when you're united as a people. But the enemy, he wasn't just on the outside, he was also on the inside. He was still working in people's hearts. There is one that is opposed. There is one that is opposed and has been opposed to all the things that God has ever wanted to do. I'm not just talking about physical enemies. There's a spiritual enemy against every one of your lives, against every one of my people's lives. And before long, he was pulling at people's hearts. He was causing division among my people. We said, we're never going to do anything if our hearts aren't right with God and one another. And so we turned our hearts back to one another. We allowed forgiveness to flow. We allowed us to move in unity again. And that's when the great attack came. The final attack came. We were building, and I'm up on the wall, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. As we're building and as we're taking part in it, the men come back, the thorns in my side. I felt like every time they spoke, I just felt a pinch. They were so annoying. And as they spoke out, they said, why don't you come down and talk to us? We want to have a meeting with you. And, and I was tempted at first, and I could just feel the Lord prompting me. Their motives are not pure. I come to find out that they had a plan to kill me. They knew if they could take me out, if they could take out those that were continuing to stand for God's purposes, the people would scatter again. And so I said, I will not get down. The work God has called me to is greater than any purpose you have for me right now. So I will not stop my work. Sometimes the enemy knows that if he can't get you to fall, he just wants to get you to stop doing the work that God has called you to do. I would not allow it to happen. 
And so they came with more and more plots against me. And every time I would not turn an ear to their request. And then finally, finally, I'm approached by one of my own men. I can't believe it. One of my own men. And he comes. He says, come, let us go. We got to hide in the temple. I need to talk to you. They're going to try to take my life. And, and as he's talking to me and as he's saying all this, I sense in my heart, his motives are not pure. I find out that he had been bribed. And he was in on an assassination plot against my very life. I'm so thankful that in a moment of distress, in a moment like that, when you could be so vulnerable, are you thankful for the spirit of God that could speak into your heart? I know that I am. And he could lead you away from it. And in that moment, I listened, not to his words, but to the words of God. And I stopped, and I didn't allow anything to stop me from the work God was going to do. And we gathered together, and what did we do? We prayed again. And we prayed again and we prayed again and we said, they will not have success over us. Lord, you have your way among this people. You have your way among this work. And the people, our enemies, got to sit back and watch as that wall was completed in 52 days. 52 days. And as the wall was built up, the enemies were ashamed. They had nothing else to stand on. God's work was done and what they never thought could happen, what they had tried to do for years and years and years was able to be done in 52 days. What a miracle. The miracle of this is so much greater than you could ever imagine. I would have never even been there if it wasn't for the favor of God on my life. You see, the king, King Artaxerxes, He had seen these kinds of attempts in the past. And eventually, before I had ever come, he had put a stop. He said, no more building in Jerusalem ever. But as God moved on his heart because of my request, he allowed a miracle to take place. 52 days and the wall was rebuilt. But I began to learn something. I began to learn something as I watched the people. Because I watched the people and the walls were restored. But I noticed something about them. That as the walls were crumbled, so their hearts and lives became crumbled and ruined. As the threats came and as fear came, their hearts became burdened and they began to stray so quickly. What I saw was a people who were acting just like the people who caused this mess in the first place. I watched a people whose hearts were rising and falling on the opinions of man, on the fears of this world, on comparisons to things in this world. I watched and I saw that although they were there and the walls were restored, their hearts were still dead. Their hearts were not filled with hope. There was still a greater work that God needed to do. Although the walls were finished, the real work was just beginning. And I realized that it was a work that wasn't going to happen with brick or mortar, but it was going to be a transformative work where God would take hearts that were like bricks and turn them into hearts of flesh that were sensitive to him again, that would worship him again, that would love him again. And I realized something very quickly, that all of this work was great, but if God wasn't in the center of it, then none of it mattered. I realized that all the work that we could do in this world, all the greatest accolades would be great, but without God changing the lives of people, none of it matters. And so I realized the work God had really called me to. It wasn't about seeing walls restored. It was about seeing hearts and lives revived. God wanted his people to return again. And I remembered the words of the prophets that said, God is faithful And when we are unfaithful, God would allow us to be scattered to the ends of the earth. But 
If we return to God with our whole hearts, then he will receive us again. And he will restore us. He will revive us. He will bring us back to life. And I saw with my own eyes that we had been a scattered people. And now we were a returning people. But we didn't just need to return with our bodies. We needed to return with our hearts. I realized that living on the inside of the city was not enough. Living in a home in Jerusalem and having that as your place of residence was not enough. Your heart needed to belong to God. And so we began to take part in the greatest work, the greatest rebuilding, the rebuilding of lives, the reviving of dead hearts. And so that started with the word of God Almighty. I asked Ezra, the scribe, to get up in front of the people, and we called all the people together. We went through and we looked at the genealogies and we called every person that would reside in this place, everyone that had been carried off to now return and call this home. And as they were there, Ezra got up and we had done something we had not done in some time. He took out the word of God, the Torah, God's word to us, his revelation to us, and he began to read from it for six hours. From the beginning of the day till midday, he read nonstop. And the people listened intently. And I watched. I watched as something began to happen. As every person listened, it was as if I was sitting there among my brother again as he shared of the state, the condition of Jerusalem. I could remember with every word my heart was breaking. Eventually as the people heard the words of God, every word that was spoken was breaking their hearts. And instead of there being joy and celebration like when the wall had completed, there was weeping. Tears began to flow down their faces. Before long, men that used to walk around with such pride and excitement, they were looking at the floor and tears were streaming down their faces as they held the hands of their children and their families and they stood there. They stood there broken and I realized why. Because for so long, they lived without God's word. For so long, they lived without God's standards. For so long, you know what they had done? They had gone on comparing themselves to others. And you know how they measured what they were worth? You know how they measured how good they were? By looking at someone else. And I could see exactly what they were doing. They would pick out someone that was really bad, much worse than they were, and they would compare themselves, and they would say, at least I'm not as bad as this guy. But you know what happened? As soon as they became as bad as that guy, they looked for someone worse than him to compare themselves to. And at least I'm not as bad as that guy and that guy. And there were a handful of people whose lives were very broken. I could watch it. so many people found pride in themselves because they weren't as bad as the least of these among us. And we realized something very quickly. As Ezra held up the word of God, we began to realize that we weren't called to compare ourselves to ourselves. We were called to compare ourselves to God's standards. And when we did that, the hearts were broken because we realized just how far we had fallen. We realized in a moment exactly why we were in the mess we were in. Because we had broken God's heart, his laws, his commandments. God wanted to have a relationship with us and we turned our backs on him. And we allowed ourselves to fall into sin. And so the people began to weep because they knew that they had done what was wrong in God's sight. And as they wept and as they were there, they didn't realize what I had realized when I thought about the prophecy that said this. If you return to me with all your heart, I will receive you, forgive you, make you a great people again. And so they began weeping. And I had to get up with the leaders. And we said, on this day, you will not weep. This is a day that's holy of the Lord. He is near to us. And the joy of the Lord is your strength today. And in that moment, the people's eyes were opened again. They had hope again in their hearts. And they began to celebrate. We took part in a feast. 
a festival that was meant to remember God's presence among us because there was a time among our people when God's presence dwelled among us. And he dwelled among us and there was a tabernacle that we worshipped him in all the way back in the land, coming out of the land of Egypt in the wilderness. And we all would build, my people, booths around it. And as they built those booths and they live in them, during their wilderness experience, they were reminded of God's presence. What an amazing thing that we on that very day realized. That on the very day we were reading God's word, it was the day that they were supposed to be taking part in that very festival that they were meant to remember God's presence among them. I hope that you will never forget to remember God's presence with you and among you. It can fill you with hope. It can fill you with strength. It can fill you with peace. Too often my people would forget that God was with them, that God wanted to desire to be with them. And so my people took part in that festival, and we celebrated for a whole week And then at the end of that, we had a sacred assembly where we came before the Lord and we opened our hearts to him. And right after that, we began to continue to read God's word. And as we did and we saw firsthand how much we had done wrong in his sight, we confessed our sins. Confession is very, very healthy. It's something where you're able to spill your heart before God, where you're able to acknowledge your shortcomings. And we don't have to be afraid when we confess our sins because God's word says that he loves us and that when we return to him, he will return to us and he will come and he'll receive us to himself. And so we confessed our sins and we took it a step further than that. We didn't just confess our sins. We made an oath with the Lord on that day and we signed that oath with our very lives saying, we will honor you with all of our lives. Something powerful happens whenever you confess your sins before the Lord, when you make a commitment to follow him with your life. And me and my people, we would have never known where that promise would fully lead to. You see, for my people, We were able to come back. We were able to experience the blessings of being the people of God again. But just as I started today with you, something was still missing. As great as the temple worship was, and it was glorious at times, there was still something missing. As much as we loved being in that place, there was still something that wasn't quite right. And there was a longing, a waiting, and the prophets began to speak of him, that there would be one that would come, and he would be God's Messiah the one who could save the people from their sins truly. Because what I learned is as much as we made that oath, we broke the oath. We continued to sin. It was in our very nature to sin. As much as we wanted to do what's right, we could not be perfect in and of ourselves. And so we long awaited the messenger that God would send to save us from our sins. And for hundreds of years, my people lived waiting on that one to come. Today you know him because he has come. And he is Yeshua, he is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God. He came. And just like I would watch the priests come and they would lead in a lamb, an unblemished lamb on the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was a day when we would receive that forgiveness, the atoning for our sins. And they would lead in a lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb and that unblemished lamb's blood would be a sign of our forgiveness and rightness with God because our sins meant that we would have to die for those sins. It required the shedding of blood. That Jesus, God's only son, was led like a lamb to the slaughter. 
And he was killed, although he lived a perfect life for the sins of man. And he was hung on a tree on a cross and he was secured there with nails in his wrists and in his feet and he had a spear in his side and he wept there and he had a thorn not in his side, in his head. A crown of them pressed against his skull and he died and bled for you. And he died. That death that he should not have died. But in that death, in that brokenness, God was doing something beautiful because on the third day, on the third day when they went to a tomb that had to be borrowed to bury him in, they couldn't find his body because he had risen from the dead. And by the power of God, he was alive. And if he was alive, that meant everything that God promised was true. That meant that if you believe in his name, that you could be forgiven of your sins. And I thought 52 days to build a wall was a miracle. It's nothing compared to a man that was dead being raised to life. It was nothing compared to the power to forgive sins. And because of Jesus, we see the ultimate fulfillment of that promise and that long-awaited gift to anyone who would receive him. Today, if you have a heart of stone, Jesus can make it right if you accept him and his forgiveness in your life. And in the same way that I called my people to make a decision on that day of our sacred assembly, they had to make the decision, will you become right with God? Will you turn your heart to God or not? Today, I want to ask you now, in light of knowing that Jesus has come to forgive you of your sins, your hands can be ready for the work that you're going to do in seven days' time. Your hands can be ready. You could have all the right tools. But I tell you what, if your heart is not right with God, none of it matters. You could do all the greatest things in this world and still spend eternity without him. And so today, listen very clearly and very closely. The God of the universe wants to know you and wants to have a relationship with you and wants to forgive you of your sins. Are you willing to turn your heart towards him? Today, every family and every person in every family is called to give an account for that. So would you take a moment right now and would you close yourself off to the Lord? Would you close your eyes and would you bow your heads before God in this moment? And will you make a decision with your life? You're not responsible for any other life but your own today. And today, will you make a decision to receive the gift of Jesus that God has sent you? And today, if you're ready to do that for the very first time, I want to pray with you that God would come and Jesus would forgive you of your sins. And so today, if that is you, would you lift your hand above your head to say, I want to receive Jesus in my life and in my heart. If that's you, lift your hand above your head. No one's looking around. I see your hands lifted. Is there anyone else? I see your hands here. Anyone that can see me in this moment, lift your hand before God if you know that you need to be right with him in this moment. Now I'm going to pray with you and I want you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, would you come and forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you? I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again. And today I commit my whole heart to you. It will not be given to any other. I will follow you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Can there be great celebration today for those that have made that decision? Today, we're going to take one step further. Then the same way that my people would take 
time and have festivals. Festivals were times of remembrance, feasts where we would come together for a very specific purpose to remember God's presence, His power, His work. But because of Jesus, there is now the greatest way of remembering His work and His presence and His power. It's not what we would call a feast or a festival, but it's coming to a table in what we call communion. And communion is that you remember the sacrifice of Jesus and you take a moment to acknowledge his death and his power and his love. Jesus is the bread of life. And he took at a meal time with his disciples and he broke bread. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he gave it to them to eat. And he then took a cup. And he said, this cup is my blood which is for you. It's a new covenant. It means that now you can be forgiven of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. It's so important for you to take time to remember what Jesus has done in your life. And today, if he has done that in your life, that I want you to take part in that very special feast and communion. Today, if you have called Jesus Lord, today if you've committed your heart to follow him, then you can take part. If you have not, you must wait until that moment when you are ready to make that decision to take part. Those that are serving will serve you. Those that will lead us in worship will lead us in worship. Let us sing, let us take part, let us hold those elements, and then we will eat them together. Let's take part in this worship now together. It can be very possible and even probable that in a room like this today, there can be many that have already said a prayer like we prayed earlier to receive Jesus. And when I ask you, is your heart prepared for the work God wants to do? Your answer could still be no. Today, there might be areas of your heart that God wants you to confess to him. That he wants you to lay down because he has something better for you. And for you to take hold of God's vision in your life and the purpose he has for you means you have to let go of some of those things that are only going to hold you back. And so today, I speak to every heart and ask you that question, is your heart prepared for what God wants to do in your life? And would you take a moment right now, we're at the table of the Lord. And it's not just me asking you that question, it's him asking you that question. He's the one that died for you. He's the one that paid the ultimate sacrifice. He's the only one that can make you right. He's the one that knows already and he loves you enough to ask. Turn your heart to him today. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you alone have the power to take away sin. You alone have the power to change every heart. And Lord, we confess those areas in our hearts where we still need your grace and mercy every single day. We turn away from those things and we turn to you. Because Lord, we believe you've called us for such a time as this. We believe you have work for us to do in this hour. May nothing separate us from your love and from your mission in our lives. And so Lord, we turn from those things. And we turn to you now at your table. And Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you, Lord, that you were broken so that we could be made whole. 
And today, Lord, as we turn our hearts to you and as we partake in this meal together, Lord, we pray that the broken areas of our lives would be made whole again. We pray, Lord, that we'd be made whole physically, emotionally, spiritually, that we could worship you and walk with you and all you have for us, Lord. So come, Lord, as we remember you now. Thank you for your body. Let's eat the bread together. Lord, you took this cup after supper. You said it's a new covenant in your blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of what you have done for us. We thank you. I thank you that your blood has the power to take away sin. That today we can be made right with you. We can be forgiven. We don't have to walk around with shame or guilt or anything because of your forgiveness in our lives. How beautiful is your mercy. It's new every morning. We thank you for it. But Lord, today we receive it as well. Oh Lord, we take it with a grateful heart, not an entitled heart. We take it with a heart that is so thankful that you would choose to love us and call us. And today we can approach with confidence your throne of grace to receive this mercy. Come and help us, Lord, in our time of need. Lord, forgive us of our sins, Lord, as we drift from you, Lord. Lead us back today. Lead hearts back today who have grown cold in their walk with you. But burn a fire in their heart again that they could love, serve you, and may their eyes be open to your purpose for them. Jesus, we do this in remembrance of you, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. I can remember this very special day, just like today, where my people had all gathered together. They had turned their hearts over to the Lord. It was the preparation of their hearts that mattered most to God. And what I would tell you, friends, is as you're getting ready in seven days from now, you're going to be stepping out and you're going to be taking part in a big work that God wants to do. What's going on in your heart is what matters most to him. And you have the opportunity to serve just as my people did, arm in arm, heart in heart, hand in hand, families together, young and old, to take part in what God has for you. And so today I would like to see the families that might be represented among us, if you would just take the hands of your loved ones and those that are around you. Maybe others are not a part of your biological family, but you would call them family today. Would you just take the hands of a few of those that are sitting near you? And would you just come together? And we're just going to pray for God's blessing over every family and every life that's represented here today. And if you're not with your family, you're even alone, perhaps there's someone near you that would just pull you in, that you would be a part. If not, you could be alone right before the Lord. He sees you. And us all being together is the family of God. But in this moment, I'm going to invite someone to come from among you. And she's going to come and she's going to pray just God's blessing to be over you today. And for God to continue to lead and guide you from here. So let's open our hearts now as we hear that prayer. God, we thank you for today. Thank you that we were able to know what it's like to have a nation turned away from you. And God, we just pray that you will help us not to turn away from you, but to stay faithful through the rest of our lives from today forward, that we will strive to know you more and love you more. And God, we just pray that you will help us understand that you love us even when we do what we think is the worst thing in the world God we just thank you that you love us anyway 
And God, we just pray that you will help us all, not only as individual families, but as your body, as the body of the church, God, that you will bless us and that you will help us. And that next week we will not only just go out and serve, but we want to shine your light through us. God, that we will not, that other people wouldn't just think that we're just people helping other people. We're shining the light of Jesus upon them and upon it starting from this community to this nation, to this world. So God, we just pray that you will help us, that you will give us the strength to do whatever we need to do and for your glory and for your glory alone. So God, we just pray that you will help us not only today, but for next week and that we will remain faithful in all things and that we will know that you are there for us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen.